The following teaching is possible thanks to the friends and partners of Spirit and Truth Fellowship International. Well, God bless you and welcome to this teaching by Spirit and Truth Fellowship International. In this teaching, I'm going to talk about righteousness and specifically the aspect of righteousness that is treating God and other people right. Now, I've got some goals for this teaching. One is that you and I would better understand righteousness, what it is. You know, righteousness occurs a lot in the Bible, and you and I, it's going to really help us if we understand what righteousness is. Then the second goal goes right along with that, which is that we would better understand the Bible and biblical passages that talk about righteousness, because it's much more fun, enjoyable, and enriching if we understand what we're reading. And then a third goal is that in understanding righteousness and what it is, and that an aspect of righteousness is that we treat God and other people rightly or in a godly fashion, in a just and equitable fashion, that when we understand that's what righteousness is, then we have a better understanding of what God wants from us. I want to live in a way that's pleasing to God. You probably want to live in a way that's pleasing to God. If we understand what righteousness is, then we're going to set ourselves up for success in that category. So now let's talk about righteousness. Well, righteousness really has two meanings, especially in the New Testament. In the New Testament, and I should, by New Testament, I mean the epistles, the church epistles. In the New Testament church epistles, the word righteousness has two distinct meanings. In the Old Testament and in the Gospels, those meanings are kind of wrapped up into a ball. But in the church epistles, the word righteousness has two distinct meanings, and it's important that we understand that shift in meaning. And one of those meanings is righteousness is having a right standing in the sight of God. And the other of those meanings is when we're doing right uh, by God and, and others, we're doing what is right for people. Um, we're acting towards other people in a way that God would want us to act. So let's let's take these two meanings of righteousness, having a right standing in the sight of God, which, as I said, is often equivalent to being saved and doing right to others. Let's take a look at them in the New Testament. And the first thing we're going to look at is righteousness being our right standing in the sight of God. After the day of Pentecost in the church epistles, when the Bible talks about righteousness, many, many times, and we can tell this from the context, what it's talking about is the right standing we have in the sight of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, it's very important that we get that that is divorced from the way we think, the way we behave, because everybody's a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody has sin. And being righteous in the sight of God because of the work of Jesus Christ, it's God's judicial declaration that we're righteous in his sight in spite of our sin. And it's really important to get that, that righteousness is our right standing in the sight of God because of the work of Christ, in spite of the fact that we sin, because we don't want to become arrogant 
And we never want to stop working on our lives, on trying to please God, on trying to be better people. We never want to say, well, you know, I'm righteous in the sight of God. So, um, you know, so he made me righteous. So I don't have to worry about my sin. That is really a very, very harmful way to think. Because what happened was you and I were sinners, still sin. You and I were sinners. Then Christ died for us, and we accepted that substitution. In fact, I think it's Romans 5 that says Christ died in our place. I should have died, but Christ died for me. And when Christ died for me, that meant in God's court of law, the penalty for my sin had been paid. And God could look at me, and he could go, okay, in my sight, you are righteous, Does that mean I don't sin? No, it means that somebody else paid for my sin. So I I still want to pay attention to my own sin, make sure that I'm working on myself to be a better person, a better Christian. But righteousness as a right standing in the sight of God, then because of the work of Christ, is a judicial declaration, and it means I am saved. By the way, the proper way to translate that in most verses is that we are declared righteous. I know some versions just say that we are righteous, and, and we are righteous if we understand it properly. Some versions translate the phrase, and particularly some older versions, translate the phrase as made righteous, like we are made righteous. No, <laughs> we're not. And that's not what the text is saying. I, I, I'm not made righteous. I'm a sinner. I'm declared righteous in God's court of law, and so God gives me everlasting life. Uh, Let's see how this plays out in the New Testament, and we'll see this. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, very familiar verse, very famous verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 24, but are declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that's accomplished in Christ Jesus. You see, I'm not righteous, I'm a sinner, but then Christ died in my place, and so God declared me righteous. And that's what the text says. I've been declared righteous freely by his grace. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by trust, what did I do? I trusted in Jesus Christ. And what did he do? (laughs) He paid the price for my sin. And then God declared me righteous. And so Romans 5 says, 5.1, therefore, since we've been declared righteous by trust, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. God isn't upset with us. God isn't going to condemn us uh, to everlasting death. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ and his work. Uh, Romans 10.4, for Christ is the fulfillment of the law with the result that now there is righteousness for everyone who believes. What does that mean? There's righteousness for everyone who believes. It means we've been declared righteous. We have right standing in the sight of God. So this is one way that the word righteous is used in the New Testament epistles. It's used of the standing we have before God because we've been declared righteous. The other way that righteous and righteousness is used in the epistles is it's used of living rightly, doing what's right in the sight of God and others. And 
Sometimes Christians focus so much on the fact that we are declared righteous in the sight of God. I'm saved. Uh, I have everlasting life. And we focus so much on that that we forget that there is a completely different aspect of righteousness, which is that we've got to live right by God and by other people. God expects us as his creation and as lights of the world and as salt of the earth and as ambassadors for him to extend ourselves to other people, to work, to bless them and to help them. You know, how how do we plug into society? We're the lights of the world. We're the salt of the earth. How do we plug into society so we truly become a blessing to other people? I mean, this is really important. Here's 2 Timothy 3.16, another very famous, well-known verse. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, well, okay, so the scripture is given to us for instruction in righteousness. Now, is, is that saying it's the reason for the scripture is it's given for instruction as to how to be saved? No, that's not what it's saying. I mean, there is instruction in the scripture on how to be saved. But when 2 Timothy says all scripture is God breathed and it's, it's given for instruction in righteousness, what it's talking about is, hey, in the Bible, Tells you how to live when, about your neighbors, about the people around you, about your society. Tells you how to plug into society. Tells you how to be kind, fair, just, equitable. Absolutely. Second Timothy 2.22, Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, So, flee youthful passions and diligently pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, peace with those who call on the Lord. Now, when Paul writes to Timothy and says, diligently pursue righteousness, is he saying, diligently pursue your salvation? <laughs> no, that's not what he's saying. What Paul is saying is, diligently pursue living right by the others around you. How are you helping? What, what are you giving to people? What are, what are you giving back to society? You know, when he says diligently pursue righteousness, this is horizontal relation. You know, see, righteousness then has two aspects to it. It has a vertical relationship, our right standing in the sight of God, and it has a horizontal relationship. We're righteous as we do our best to extend ourselves to the people around us and our in our neighbors and our society and and really we help i mean i i think of galatians 6:10 it says let us do good to all people but especially to those who are of the household of faith as christians and as the lights of the world as the salt of the earth we're supposed to be doing good to everyone well doing good to everyone is not just not hurting them Okay, I'm sitting at home, I'm minding my own business, I'm trying to be a, a, a kind person, I'm not, I'm not hurting anyone. Well, <laughs> okay, but, and that you're halfway there. <laughs> and the other half is, so what are you doing for people? <laughs> How are you helping? How are you volunteering? How are you plugging in? How are you extending yourselves to others? You see, when Paul writes to Timothy, diligently pursue righteousness, that's what he's talking about. 
Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is righteous, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Well, when Paul writes to the Philippian church and he says, whatever is righteous, you know, think about that. You know, it it takes an effort to think about how am I really going to affect the society around me? How am I going to really treat them the way that God would have me treat them? How am I going to plug in and, and touch lives like Christ touched lives? Now, see, as we study righteousness through the whole Bible, then what we see is that before the new birth, righteousness or doing right in the sight of God was was linked to salvation. Salvation has always been by faith. Salvation has never, ever been by works. It's always been a manifestation of faith. God's always looked on the heart. But the the fact in the Old Testament, because they had no birth, no new birth yet, you know, the, the heart, if the heart was toward God, then you saw the fruit of that. And so in the Old Testament, the word righteousness, uh, sometimes the emphasis of that word is specifically more on a standing before God in a vertical relationship. And sometimes it's more a horizontal relationship, how you work with other people. And then, of course, in the new birth, um, our righteousness in the sense of us standing before God is our salvation. And then our righteous acts are tied to rewards. So then if we if we take that concept and we say, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back through the Old Testament. If you ever want to do this, it's it's quite a long study because the word righteousness occurs, righteous and righteousness occur way over 500 times in the Old Testament. It's quite a word study. But the the righteousness in the Old Testament, let's talk about God. Does the Bible say God is righteous? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, it does. In fact, the Bible says God is righteous in a lot of different places. And the people would say that too. They'd say, God, you are righteous. Okay, well, right away we know that righteous in that context doesn't mean saved. You know, when when somebody says God is righteous, they, they certainly don't mean God is saved. So then what are they saying? Well, they're saying God you treat people so well. You're so fair. You're so just. You're so equitable. You're so kind. You, you're so sacrificial. You're so giving. Wow, that's what they meant when they said God was righteous. And then that meaning of righteous, righteous and righteousness carries through into the way that people relate to people as well. So we see this. Okay, so let's take a look at uh, some of these verses about God. Now, this is Second Chronicles chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. And, and what's going on here? Well, Israel had abandoned God, and so uh, the Egyptians attacked and, and won the battle, and they had, had carried away stuff from Judah. Um, verse 5 in Second Chronicles 12 says, Now Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam. Now Rehoboam was the king. He was the son of Solomon who became king when Solomon died. So Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and to the officials of Judah who were gathered together to Jerusalem because of Shishak, the Shishak of the Egyptian, and said to them, This is what Yahweh says, You have forsaken me. Therefore, I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. Verse 6, Then the officials of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, Yahweh is righteous. 
Now, what did they mean? They looked at, they, they humbled themselves. Shishak confronted them because of their behavior. They had abandoned God. And he said, now because you've abandoned God, God has abandoned you. You've been attacked and conquered uh, by the Egyptians who've gone off with a bunch of your gold and silver and stuff. And the people said, God is righteous. What do they mean? God treated us fairly. This is what we deserved. That's what he meant. We see the same thing in, in Ezra chapter 9, verses 13 to 15. And what's going on in Ezra? Well, things were terrible in the book of Ezra. The uh, Jerusalem was still a wreck and not rebuilt completely. And there, there was all kinds of troubles. So let's go to Ezra chapter 9, verses 13 to 15. And here it, the situation is that Jerusalem had been conquered by the Babylonians. Babylonia had been conquered by the Persians. The Persians had let some people come back to Judah, but things were a mess in Judah. And when the people got back to Judah, instead of being humble and deciding they better obey God, they started sinning again. And they were getting in trouble again. And so Ezra is going to pray. And in, in Ezra chapter 9, verse 13, he says, And after all that has come upon us for all our evil deeds and for all our guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve and have given us an escaped remnant such as this. And then you go down to verse 15. Oh, Yahweh, the God of Israel, you are righteous. So what does Ezra say? He says, wow, God, we, I mean, we, sh we should have been wiped out, frankly. And, and here we are, uh, and we're still sinning, and you've punished us less than our iniquities deserved. Oh, Yahweh, you are righteous. And what does he mean by, oh, Yahweh, you are righteous? He's saying, you have punished us less than we deserve. We, you treat people fairly and justly and kindly in your giving and your sacrificial. See, it's a, it's a, a, a horizontal relationship, God, with the people, if you will, and how he treats them, not how they're standing in his sight or he's standing in their sight, but how he's treating people. And we see this all through the Old Testament, both with God and, and with others. Let's uh, let's look at a bunch. I just really want to set this. I mean, I don't want to look at so many we get bored, but I want, I want us to really get this because there's a lot of people that just miss this. In Psalm 11, 7, it says, for Yahweh, is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright person will see his face. God is righteous, meaning he does good things for people. So what's one of the good things he does? He makes himself known to the upright. Psalm 116 verse 5, Yahweh is gracious and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. So here the scripture says God is righteous. How does that righteousness show up? He's compassionate to others. In Psalm 145, 17, Yahweh is righteous in all his ways and loyal in all his works. They go, wow, Yahweh is righteous. What's that mean? It means he's loyal to people. He doesn't tell you one thing and do another. <laughs> he's, he's loyal. He doesn't, he doesn't turn away from you. So Yahweh is righteous in the way he treats others, and he treats others by being loyal. To show you how closely righteousness is tied to righteous acts, actually, in a number of verses in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word righteous 
gets translated as righteous acts because that's the best way you and I can understand it. But this is 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. And this is Israel, and they wanted a king, and, and Samuel was upset. You know, why do you want a king? And Yahweh had to talk to Samuel and say, look, it's, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so Samuel gathers the people. And in 1 Samuel verse 12, or 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, Samuel says to the people, Now therefore stand still, that I may plead with you before Yahweh concerning all the righteous acts of Yahweh that he did for you and your fathers. So here's Samuel, and he's going to talk about all the righteous acts of Yahweh. But actually, if you read the Hebrew text, it reads, that I may plead with you before Yahweh concerning all the righteousness of Yahweh that he did for you the righteousness that Yahweh did for you. And it's understood as righteous acts. Why? Because righteousness outworks as righteous acts toward others. Sure. And that's the same thing when it comes to people. Let's, let's shift from talking about God to talking about people. This is Psalm 37, verse 21. A wicked person borrows and does not repay. You know, if righteousness can be defined in one aspect of righteousness is the way we treat others, then what's wickedness? Wickedness is defined as the way we treat others. So it says a wicked person borrows and doesn't repay, but a righteous person shows favor and gives. A person who does righteous things treats others well. They show favor and give. And see, this, I think, when we understand verses like this and understand that this is a very important aspect of righteousness, I think of myself standing righteous before God. Okay, that's one side of it. Now I've got to figure out how to show favor to people and how to give to people and how to manifest, if you will, the other side of righteousness in my life. It's not good enough to just sit around and say, God accepts me. God declared me righteous because of the works of Christ. That's great. He did. I am declared righteous. Now, how do I outwork that, the other half of righteousness? So I'm giving to people. I'm showing favor to people. Yeah. Um, if, and if we understand that righteousness outworks as the way you behave in the world, then a lot of other verses make sense. Here's Psalm 37, 32. It says, a wicked person spies upon the righteous person and seeks to kill him. Okay, wait a minute. So is this saying that, that wicked people try to find out who's saved and, and go to kill them? I mean, there might be a spiritual aspect of that at some level, but what, what, what it's actually saying is that the wicked person spies upon the righteous person. How does the wicked person know who the righteous person is? Because they're the ones out giving. They're the ones out being sacrificial. They're the ones out volunteering. They're the ones out trying to really help their neighbor, really trying to make an impact in society. And what happens? The wicked people become jealous you know, the New Testament says we smell like death to them because we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world and we're shining and we're blessing and we're helping people. We're plugged into society and the wicked person doesn't like that. It makes them feel bad and it gets them all stirred up. And so they, they try to kill the righteous and that, that goes on all the time. So many of uh, these verses about righteousness in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 12 and 13, it's talking about a rich man loaning money uh, to a poor man, and then the poor man needs to give a pledge. Well, he's poor. He doesn't have anything. What's he got? 
So he ends up giving his coat and so that for the day. And in, so in verse 24, God is very concerned about the poor. Remember, here's God. He's righteous. How does that show up? He's concerned for the poor. So it says, God says, if, if he's a poor man, you must not sleep in his pledge. Here's the poor man. He's given you his coat because you've loaned him some money for the day. Don't sleep in it. In fact, you are to return. Yes, return the pledge to him when the sun goes down. Oh, but he hadn't repaid me my money. I don't care. You have his coat. He's going to be cold. You give him his coat back. If you didn't want him to have the money, then don't loan it. You don't get to have him be cold all night long so you can keep your dang money. You know, he says, you return the pledge when the sun goes down so that he may sleep in his garment and bless you. And that will be righteousness to you. See, that's that's an outwork of righteousness is that you're blessing and helping this other people. You can get the coat back tomorrow as a pledge until he finally pays you back, but you return it to him at night so he gets a good night's sleep. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 21 says, Yahweh rewarded me according to my righteousness. He rewarded me according to the cleanness of my hands. So what is the, what's the, uh, the man saying here? Yahweh recorded me according to the way I treated others. He rec- rewarded me according to the fact that my hands aren't dirty. I haven't taken bribes. I haven't stolen anything. And that was my righteousness. And then I'll, I'll close this section of the teaching uh, with Ecclesiastes 7.16, which, see, as we begin to process that, oh my gosh, righteousness, it's, it's the way I give to others. It's the way I extend myself to others. It's, um, it's, it's the way I plug into society. It's, it's how I volunteer. It's how I show up. You know, it's like, ooh, there's an aspect of righteousness I hadn't thought of much because I'd been focused on my righteousness, which is my standing before God, which it certainly is. And so here's Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 16, and it says, Do not be excessively righteous, and do not be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? <laughs> Let me read that again. It's just such an interesting verse. Do not be excessively righteous, and do not be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Well, we can tell here when we're reading this that the word righteous in this context doesn't mean salvation. I mean, it's certainly not saying don't be excessively saved. (laughs) There's no way to be excessively saved. What's it mean when it says don't be excessively righteous? You know, have you ever been around one of those people that just they can never do enough and what they do can never be good enough? You know, no matter what they do, it's not good enough, no matter um, how they extend themselves or how they show up or, you know, it's never enough. You know, you you go over to their house to dinner and and all they do is make excuses for how the food isn't good enough. There's not enough food. There's this, there's that. The house isn't clean enough, this, that, the other thing. You know, they're they're not, they don't volunteer enough. They don't give enough. They don't share enough. They don't do, you know, and, and so what's the scripture saying? Hey, we're all human. We all sin. You know, God didn't expect us to be Jesus Christ. He expects us to give it a good, solid try. He expects us to work at being better people and plugging into society. But if you if you become obsessed with being completely right and everything perfect, it produces a lot of mental pressure and a lot of mental pressure. And it can show up in all kinds of diseases and, and, and mental, mental, you know, problems and stuff like that. I mean, what a, in that sense, what a great verse 
Ecclesiastes 7.16, do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise, you know, that, that you've got to know everything or there's something wrong with you. It says, why, why should you destroy yourself? So right here in the text, a lot of mental and physical disease comes from being worried all the time that we're not good enough and we're not doing enough. And God says, don't be overly righteous. Don't be overly wise. Don't destroy yourself. You know, we're human. Pace yourself. Do what you can. Let's now move into the New Testament. We've been looking at righteousness in the Old Testament, and what we've seen is that there's an aspect of righteousness that is horizontal. It's how we treat others. It's are we living fairly, equitably, justly, sacrificially? Are we giving? Are we showing favors to others? Are we concerned about how others are? That's an aspect of righteousness. And righteousness outworks itself as justice on earth. You know, a righteous judge is someone who judges justly and passes out justice. Now we go to the Sermon on the Mount. And let's talk about what Christ was saying in the Sermon on the Mount. And so here is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. And Matthew 5 verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Now this verse isn't saying blessed are those who hunger and thirst after salvation, because uh, we don't have to hunger and thirst to get saved. I mean, salvation has always been easy. It's always come by trusting God and having a heart toward God. And in the New Testament, we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, and we're saved. And we're righteous. We're declared righteous in the sight of God because of the work of Christ. So when the when Christ is saying, uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount, this is Christ's first major sermon to a huge audience that's gathered around him. And he looks out over them and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. What's he saying? He's saying, I know there's many of you out there who are just, you are done. You are over unfair politicians, corrupt politicians, corrupt judges, domineering leaders, uh, you know, people in government that embezzle and lie and cheat, you know, you're, you're hungering and thirsting for a time and a place when the people on earth treat each other with love, with kindness, with justice. Um, Matthew 5, 6 is almost the equivalent of saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice on earth, for they will be filled. Because that's exactly what's going to happen in the future. And that was the prophecy of the future. I'm one of those. <laughs> I feel like I, I get up and I read the paper about corrupt leaders and, and all this stuff that's going on and, and judges that are caught being bribed and, and stuff like that. And I, I hunger and thirst for a time when Christ reigns as king. And the leaders are godly and Jesus Christ will reign in godliness and love and kindness and he'll, t he'll, he'll, he'll rule the world and it'll be a wonderful place and people will treat each other really well. 
And is that prophesied in the Old Testament? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of prophecies about how the kingdom of Christ is going to be a great place to live. Gosh, there's one verse I'm thinking of where it says, everlasting joy will chase them down. It'll be a fun place to live. Absolutely. And, and I'll just read you one passage from the Old Testament. This is Jeremiah chapter 23, uh, verses 1 to 5. And this is a, a prophecy about the coming kingdom and also a warning from Jeremiah to the leaders in his time who were <laughs> the kind of people that, that, are, uh, that are wicked. They were the, they were the leaders that, that hurt the sheep, that took bribes, that, that bullied people. And, and uh, they're going to get in real trouble on the day of judgment. Everybody on earth, you look, at, you look out at a crowd, there's only two lines. Everybody on earth is in one of two lines. There's one line of people that's going to live forever, and the other line of people is going to die forever. You look at any crowd at any size, every single person there, every single person on the planet is standing in one of two lines. They're either going to live forever, they're going to die forever. Now, the people that, that uh, are, you know, you can, you, if, you're, if you're in the line that you're going to die forever, you can change lines by accepting Christ. But uh, here's Jeremiah 23, and in verse 1, he says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says Yahweh. Well, who are the shepherds? Well, they're the, they're, they're the king. They're the leaders. They're the elders. They're the officials. They're the judges. They're the priests. The leadership are the shepherds. And the shepherds at the time of Jeremiah, who were evil, who were wicked, who were self-centered, um, a lot of, you know, avarice and, and pride and thievery and stuff. What's God say? Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Verse 2, therefore, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says against the shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit on you the evil of your doings, says Yahweh. I will gather the remnant of my, remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds, and they will be fruitful and multiply, and I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them. You see, Christ says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. How did Christ know that? Because the prophets in the Old Testament said that that was the way it was going to be. And besides, Christ knew he was going to be the king. And he knew how he was going to take care of people. Absolutely. Verse 4, he says, I'm going to shut up, set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they will fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither will any be lacking, says Yahweh. Verse 5, behold, the days are coming, says Yahweh, that I will raise for David a righteous branch, that's our Lord Jesus Christ, and he will reign as king and deal wisely, and will execute justice and righteousness in the land. See, Jesus Christ is going to reign with justice and He's going to, and righteousness. He's going to treat people right, and that's why the people are going to be blessed. And so Christ, on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, knowing that He's going to be king, knowing the kind of people He's going to set up as leaders over the people, and He says, look, you guys, I, if you're hungering and thirst after righteousness, you're blessed because you will be filled. In this life, no, don't think so. But in the millennial kingdom when Christ reigns, absolutely. And we go on down um, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. You know, we just go down about four verses. 
And here's Jesus Christ continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, blessed are those who've been persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who've been persecuted because of your righteousness, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Well, yeah, there there could be an aspect of this where if people knew you were saved or said you were saved, they would be upset with you and would persecute you. But that's not the thrust of what Christ is saying. Remember, he's talking to people that have lived and read the Old Testament. They understood what righteousness was as far as doing good to other people. And he says, you know, what what happens to you? When, when you're out, you know, when you're out helping people and blessing people and evangelizing people and letting your light shine, and, and that means protecting them from bullies and people that would, uh, say, corrupt political leaders, unjust judges, and you're interceding for people and you're taking a stand for people and you're helping out people and you're trying to protect people and you're trying to show favor to people and give to them. And and what happens? How do the wicked treat you? Then the wicked persecute that kind of person. And so what does Christ say on the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are those who've been persecuted because of their righteousness, because of all the good things they've tried to do to help people. And it brings the ire of the wicked upon them. Blessed are you if you've been in that position. For yours is the kingdom of heaven, which means what? It translates very simply into you're going to be saved. Amen. The kingdom of heaven, that's the kingdom that Christ's going to reign on earth. And and uh, it's got heavenly qualities, which is why it's called the kingdom of heaven. And, and Christ is going to rule on earth. And, you know, this, this verse about being persecuted for righteousness, this concept occurs many times in Scripture worded different ways. Here's 2 Timothy 3.12. And indeed, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Because the devil doesn't like godly people living a godly life and being the salt of the earth and the light of the world and ambassadors for Christ and trying to help people, bless people, get people saved, talk to people about the the good news of Jesus Christ, Um, you know, extending yourselves, that kind of thing. You know, so what does the scripture say? All those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We live in a fallen world and the whole world is under the control of the devil, 1 John 5, 19. So here in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ is saying the same thing. Look, hey, all you people out there that are righteous, all you people that are trying to make a difference, you're trying to to make the world a better place and you're being persecuted for it because you're standing in the way of the wicked and their wicked schemes. He said, you're blessed because you're going to be saved because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's go down to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, going down from Matthew 5, 10 to 5, 20, still obviously in the Sermon on the Mount. And I've got to tell you, I, I really think that what Christ does here in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 is really amazing because sometimes it's, we're just called upon sometimes to be just bold, and brash about the truth with people, even though it can upset them, because sometimes that makes the difference between them staying where they are and changing, or perhaps it's just simply alerting other people to who they are and what they're doing. 
But here we are at the Sermon on the Mount. Now, there was this huge crowd, and, and Christ is in the Galilee next to the Sea of Galilee. So, of course, there are going to be leaders from the synagogues that are in the area. They're going to be in that crowd. So there are going to be scribes and Pharisees, you know, the experts in the law and the Pharisees. And they're going to be in that crowd. And so here's Christ at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the experts of the law and the Pharisees, you will absolutely not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's obvious here as we read this that righteousness in this context isn't talking about salvation. <laughs> you can't say, you know, that unless your salvation is better than the salvation of the Pharisees. I mean, there's salvation is salvation. There's no, nobody has a better salvation than anybody else. He's talking about the righteous deeds that you do. Now here, intermixed in the crowd are the experts in the law and the Pharisees. But Christ knows that the way they've treated people, they've been, they've been spiritual bullies, and they've been dishonest judges, they've been unjust judges, and they've taken bribes, and they've walked in pride, and Christ knows this about them. And so he warns the crowd, and in, in doing so, he warns them. And he looks at the crowd, unless your righteousness, unless the way you treat people exceeds the is better than the way the pharisees among you treat people you will not be saved you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven that's pretty blasted bold i'll tell you you know this idea that oh christ just loved people you know i want to be like christ christ just loved people christ never offended people christ never made people upset christ never said things that got people upset take a breath, take a break, read the Bible. Yeah, Christ did a good job of being kind, loving, sacrificial, giving, but when he needed to, he could put pressure. And there are times when we need to speak up. And a lot of times people don't because of the persecution, but that's what it just said in Matthew 5, 10, 10 verses earlier. It said, if you're persecuted because of your righteousness, yours is the kingdom of heaven. This is an example of Christ walking in righteousness, telling the people exactly the way it is. If you don't do a better job of treating God and people better than the Pharisees among you do, you will not be saved. Wow. That is just bold as brass. I, I love that. And again, you know, it's not like Christ does this at every verse. It's not like Christ walked around, you know, saying this kind of thing. But if we look at the totality of Christ's ministry, the fact that he says it sometimes— we need to be that bold as well sometimes. And we need to be honest with people. Gosh, you know, if we're not honest with people about, about God, about the sacrifice and death of Christ, about salvation through Christ, if we're not going to shine as lights in the world, if we're not going to be the salt of the earth, if we're not going to be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to be? No wonder Corinthians says that you and I are fellow workers with God. God needs us to work with him. We've got to open our mouths. We've got to learn to walk by the Spirit. You know, here's what, when, when Christ was 
addressing the the lawyers, the experts in the law called scribes in a lot of the versions of the scripture. Here's what he said when he was addressing them uh, directly in Luke chapter 11, verse 46. And he said, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with loads that are grievous to carry, and yet you yourselves do not touch the loads with one of your fingers. So, did Christ warn the, the the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees directly? Yeah, he warned them directly too. He was loving, he was kind, he was trying to get people to wake up. Remember, there's only two lines. You're either in a line for life or in a line for death. And at this point in time, these lawyers, these scribes, these experts in the law were in a line for death, and Christ wanted to give them every chance to, be, to change lines and get in the line for living everlastingly. And so he told it to him just exactly like it was. This is how you're behaving and you need to change. Well, let's keep moving in the Sermon on the Mount. We just read verse 20, Matthew 5.20. Let's go forward a, a chapter or so. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Another. <laughs> this is another very famous verse, very well known. I know dozens and dozens of people can quote this verse, uh, Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Okay, now let's go back and think about righteousness in the Old Testament. When when Nehemiah or when Ezra or when, when uh, Rehoboam and the leaders, when they look up at God and they said, you are righteous, what did they mean? They mean you're treating people fairly. You're treating people justly. You walk with with justice. You, you are giving and loving and kind and you treat people better than they deserve. And so what does, what does Christ say in here, Matthew chapter 6, 33, but seek first the the kingdom of God. Now, what's that? That's salvation. The kingdom of God is when Christ comes to earth, fight the battle of Armageddon, conquers the earth, sets up his kingdom. There's your kingdom of God. Christ is reigning on the earth. He's going to set up rulers and leaders that are going to be righteous and just and loving. They're going to be great men and women. And so he says, seek first the kingdom of God. First thing you want to do is be saved. <laughs> There's only two lines. Don't be in the one that's unsaved. Get in the line for salvation. That's the first thing you ought to do. Because if you aren't saved, you've lost everything. So he says, seek first the kingdom of God. First get saved. But then he adds, and his righteousness. You know, and then that you're 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 making an effort to treat people properly, to be just, fair, equitable, loving, kind, giving, sacrificial. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which then at the time that Christ was talking about produced a right standing in the sight of God as well, of course. But seek first the kingdom of God and seek to treat people like God treats people. And then Christ says, and all these things will be added to you. You want all this stuff in life? I'll tell you what, and really, you and I both know, we're not going to get everything we want in this life. We live in a fallen world. It's run by the devil. It's got all, it's full of demons and selfish people and all kinds of nasty things that keep us from getting what we want. But if we get saved, and if we've treated people the way God wants us to treat people, everything we've wanted, you're going to get. You know, that's, that's, that's the answer to that. Okay, we might have to be a little patient. Might not quite come in this lifetime, but we'll get it. So what did Christ promise? He said, look, seek first the kingdom of God. Get your, make sure you're saved. And his righteousness, how are you acting toward God and other people? And you'll have everything you want. It's, it's a done deal. It's a slam dunk. Absolutely. So as we've gone through this study, 
what we've seen is, especially in the New Testament epistles after the day of Pentecost, righteousness has two distinct meanings. One of them is the judicial standing we have in the sight of God because I sinned and the wages of sin is death. You sinned and the wages of sin is death. And it was, and we were about to die and then Christ died in our place, Romans 5. And as soon as God saw that, he looked and said, well, you know, wages since death, penalty's been paid, bang, I declare you righteous. And we're saved and we're righteous in the sight of God because Jesus Christ died in our place and nothing can change that. And then God says, by the way, you know, there's another aspect of righteousness that's how you live toward me and toward other people. And it would really benefit you to live that way because you're going to get lots of rewards when the Lord comes back. So that's that's one of the things that we've gotten. And if we understand that, when we read the Bible, we'll understand the Bible better. We'll enjoy the Bible more. And the other thing is we'll have a much clearer picture of what God wants from us. He wants us to be contributing members of the society around us, to be salt of the earth, lights of the world, ambassadors, fishers of men, all the good things that, that God has equipped us to be so we can truly bless the people of earth in the, in the best way that we can. So God bless you. Let's go out and shine our righteousness.